Welcome to Victory with Paul Doherty, pastor of Victory in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services, Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Pastor Paul has a great message for you today, and I believe this message is going to make an impact in your life. All right, well, we have been in our series David, and this has been a study on the life of David and who he was, what he did. We've been talking about who David was before he was the king of Israel and what lessons we can learn from his life. I don't know if you were here the first week, but we talked about why God chose David, that God's heart had been broken for Israel because they forsook God as their king, and they asked God to choose for them a human king so they could be like all the other nations. And so God picked a man named Saul, someone who looked like a king, someone who talked like a king, walked like a king. He was tall and strong, and Saul started off good. But years into Saul's leadership, Saul's heart began to turn away from God. He stopped fearing God and he started fearing people and he started disobeying God's word and so God had to find a new leader and he searched into the fields of Bethlehem, a young boy, the youngest of eight sons and and his father's name was Jesse and this young boy, his name was David. He was a shepherd boy and we heard that God chose him because he was a man after God's own heart. Last week we talked about how David slew the giant Goliath, that David stepped out into the valley of Elah and he took his stones and his slingshot and he took down the giant that was trying to defy the armies of the living God. It was an incredible moment for a 15-year-old boy to just be catapulted into this moment where no other men were brave enough to fight Goliath. David was. And all of a sudden, he became a household name. People were cheering, David, David, David. The girls were cheering for David. Everybody was talking about David. If David had a shoe line, everybody wanted David's shoes. If David was a celebrity, everybody was following David, tweeting about David, talking about David. He was like an internet sensation. His name was going viral. Everybody wanted to know David. But there was someone in the background of this story that was watching from a distance. And while the world was cheering, this man was suspicious. Who is this boy, David? Who's his daddy anyways? Where does he come from? They said, well, Saul, this is Jesse's boy. He's the youngest of the sons. He's the guy that's been playing harp for you in the the palace. And when you're going through your fits of difficulties and rage, and by the way, Saul was starting to lose his mind. He was starting to go a little bit mentally insane. And Saul said, well, bring him to me. And they began to talk. And we go to 1 Samuel 18. And it says that after verse 1, after David and Saul finished talking, Jonathan, the son of Saul, became one in spirit with David because he loved him as himself. And in verse 2, it says that Saul kept David with him and would not let him return to his family. Now, that may not seem like a significant scripture, but this is the beginning of the control that Saul was bringing over David. There was a spirit of control, a manipulative, dominant spirit. You can't go back to your dad's house anymore. You got to stay right here with me. And we might think, well, that's not a big deal. But this was the beginning of what David was about to walk through. See, while the world might think that after David took Goliath out, that would be the beginning of his great leadership and that he would be catapulted into fame. And most people think that David stepped into the kingdom right after that. If you were to ask the world who's never really read through the Bible, they would say, yeah, after he took out Goliath, he became the greatest king in Israel. 
and they skip over 16 years of his life. Because what was supposed to catapult him into a great leadership moment actually catapulted David into the deepest, darkest, most difficult valley he had ever walked through. The school of brokenness. God has a university. Very few enroll into it. And even fewer graduate. It is a school for men and women who desire to become more like Jesus. And in that desire, God uses the adversities that come against them to break them so that they can bring healing to a broken world. David was enrolling into God's sacred school of brokenness. He didn't even know it. He was about to walk through the most difficult years of his life. And these would be the years that would prepare him for that role as king. God would use King Saul's madness to break David's heart so that David would never become like Saul. God didn't want a Saul number two. God was looking for a David. Lord, I pray over these next few minutes that we would lean in and hear the words of your spirit. I pray for every person in this room, God, that they would not be distracted in this moment. Lord, that we would never forget what we're about to hear in 1 Samuel 18, 19, and 20. God, that we would leave today knowing that you're not just with us on the mountaintops, you are with us in the valleys. And God, while there will be cheers, we know that there will be spears. Help us not to run from adversity, but God, to embrace what you're doing inside of us, to become more like you so that we can be used as broken vessels in this broken world to bring your healing. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. If you're taking notes today, you could just title this message, Cheers, Spears, and a Lot of Tears. Cheers, Spears, and a Lot of Tears. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, after David had finished talking to Saul, Jonathan, the son of Saul, became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Now, this was not a worldly kind of love, and the world would love to try to pervert this story, but Jonathan loved David so much that he not only wanted to be David's best friend, but he wanted to make a covenant with David to say, David, even when you act kind of crazy and even when you do things that are foolish, I'll be your friend for the rest of your life. I'll be your friend on your worst day and I'll be your friend on your best day. Aren't you thankful for the Jonathans in your life? Anybody got a Jonathan? I'm thankful for the Jonathans in my life. Many of them sitting right here on the front rows and in this church that have made covenants to say, I want to be your friend through thick and through thin. Now, Jonathan would be the son of Saul and rightfully he could have taken the future kingdom of Israel. But instead he opted to serve David. And we see in verse three that Jonathan made a covenant with David and he loved him as himself. In verse four, he gave him his robe, his tunic, his sword, and his belt. And this was a sign to say, David, I see God's hand on your life. I see there's a calling on your life and I'm not threatened by you. I wanna be your friend. And there's something we need to learn about the friendship of Jonathan and David. Because all of us in this room, we want to have a Jonathan in our life, but in order to have a Jonathan, you've gotta be a Jonathan. You reap the friendships that you sow. And if you sow loyalty, you'll reap loyalty. And if you sow honor, you'll reap honor. And if you sow kindness, you'll reap kindness. Here's the kind of friend that Jonathan was. He sacrificed for David. He was a loyal defense for David around others. We're gonna see in the story that when David was accused and wrongfully accused, Jonathan stood up for him. 
that he gave David permission to be himself around him. Aren't you thankful for friends that give you permission to just be you? They say, just take your hat off. It's all good if you cry. It's all good if you scream. It's all good if you just need to vent a little bit. Aren't you thankful for friends that give you permission to be you? Jonathan didn't try to preach at David when David was at his lowest point. He just cried with him. Jonathan was a constant source of encouragement. See, in verse 2 of 1 Samuel 18, there's something significant that most people read over and think that's not a big deal. It's not a sign of anything. But it says that Saul kept David in his house and would not let him return to his family. This was a sign of the kind of control that Saul wanted to keep on David. This was the red flag moment where David should have realized this king has a manipulative spirit. He won't even let me go see my own family. But David was so innocent, so young, 15 years old, he was there to serve. And in verse 5, Saul gave David missions. He said, I want you to go and do this and do that. And everything David did, he prospered. And he succeeded. And in verse 7, it says they were coming back from one of the battles that David had won. And, and as they're walking down the street, Saul is looking out of his palace. And he's kind of excited because Israel is winning. And David is kind of the reason that Israel is winning. And, and there's nothing to complain about until he hears this song. And it says that the girls begin to cheer. Saul has slain his thousands. And David... His tens of thousands. And I don't care who you are. That would make any of us kind of feel like, now, wait a minute. And the world will compare you. All of us in this room have been compared to someone. Paul's not like his daddy. You're not like your brother. You're not like your sister. I wish you were more like them. I wish you could act a little bit better like them. I wish you could do this like that. And the world will try to draw comparisons. But you don't have to buy into the spirit of comparison. You don't have to let that spirit of comparison get inside you because here's what comparison does. Saul allowed that comparison to get so deep inside of him that it clouded the clarity of his calling. Comparison will always cloud the clarity of your calling. As long as you're comparing yourself to someone else, you cannot see the calling and the lane that God's called you to run in. God's given us all a race to run. And as you're running your race, if you're looking over here, you're going to trip and fall. You're going to miss your turns. As long as you're looking at him, looking at her, wishing you had what he had, wishing you had what she had, wishing you were a little bit more like them, you're going to miss out on your calling. And the beautiful thing is God has made you uniquely you. There's nobody like you in the world. You are an original. You are so valuable. You are God's son and daughter. And the more that you begin to see who you are in Christ, the more you can celebrate the people that are succeeding beside you. And you could say, well done, good job, David. And God, I thank you that I have a calling too. And I thank you that your hand is on my life too. But instead, Saul let it get to his head. And it said in verse eight, they credit him with tens of thousands and me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that day on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Saul's eyes got off of his race and he began to watch David. And eventually this comparison led to envy, led to jealousy. The road to comparison is a road of destruction. If you're on that road right now, let me save you some years of heartache. Stop comparing yourself. Stop envying what other people have as if God missed out on blessing you. If you'll celebrate what God's doing in their life, I'm telling you, you'll start to see the blessings God wants to bring in your life. 
It says that Saul one day was in his house in verse 10, and David was playing the harp. He was singing, as the deer panteth forth. Saul's on the side. He's sharpening his spear. The water, oh, my soul. Saul's pulling his spear back. David's just singing, longeth after thee. Whoa! David starts dodging spears. I mean, Saul's not just throwing one, but two and multiple times. You know what? What do you do when someone throws a spear at you? What do you do when someone starts throwing spears at you? Now, I'm going to guess that most of you don't have actual spears coming at you unless you have a crazy person in your life that has spears. <laughs> but I am going to guess that there's people in your life that have thrown some verbal spears at you. I'm going to guess that the enemy has tried to attack you in multiple ways. I remember as a teenager, this preacher came to our church named Steve Hill, and you could tell he had walked through a lot in his life. He was a broken man, but man, did he have a powerful ministry. And he wept through most of his sermon, and he said this. The title of his message was, There Will Be Pain. And that's about the reaction that was happening in the service. Like, everyone was just quiet. Like, this is not a happy sermon. Where's my faith-filled sermon? Where's the sermon that's supposed to make me excited about life? And here's the point with Christianity. Sometimes we're like looking for a Christian card that says everything's going to be awesome and perfect with no problems. But Jesus never promised us a perfect life. He did promise to be a perfect Savior through every season of life. He never promised that you wouldn't have storms in your life, but man, he promised to be your shelter in every storm, to be your refuge and your stronghold. And one of the things that this preacher said is, you can't go into ministry if you're afraid of pain. You can't follow Jesus if you can't handle the pain. Because if you want to follow Jesus, there is no crown without a cross. There is no purpose without pain. And God has a university. It's a, it's a small school. Very few enroll into it, and even fewer graduate. It is the school of brokenness because God is short of men and women who will lead with a broken spirit. See, God's not looking for people who can pretend like they've got it all together. I'm perfect. I never have tears, never have problems. No, God's looking for men and women like David who say, God, where are you? I feel alone. I feel like spears are coming left and right. I just need a refuge. Search me, God. Create in me a clean heart. God, take out my enemies. You know, the beautiful thing about David is he never picked the spear back up and threw it at Saul. We'll see in the rest of 1 Samuel 18 that Saul throws one spear after another spear after another spear. And then Saul's daughter falls in love with David. Now Saul has two children that are cheering for David. Jonathan's his best friend. His daughter wants to marry him. And then Saul thinks, okay, I'll give him my daughter. And then I'll put him on the front lines of the Philistine battle. And I'll have my enemies kill him. A lot of us in this room, we feel like we have Saul's. You're like, yeah, I got a Saul in my life. It's my boss. <laughs> it's my parents. It's my friend. Let me tell you what a Saul is. A Saul is not the guy in your life or the girl in your life who's challenging you to get to work on time. That's a good boss. You need to get to work on time. 
It's not the person who's confronting you on problems or situations where you need to grow as an employee. That's a good boss, that's a good friend. It's not the parents that are telling you to be obedient, to forgive each other. I'll tell you what a Saul is. The Saul in this story was a madman, a madman. He had lost his mind. He was so jealous and so angry. He wanted so badly to kill David. He was doing everything he could to maliciously get David out of Israel. A Saul is someone who trolls you and stalks you and makes up rumors about you and gossips about you and slanders you and cheers when you fall and prays that you'll fail and does everything they can to make your life miserable. Now you know who the Sauls are. And how do you respond to them? What do you do when a spear is thrown at you? In my lifetime, I've had two seasons where I legitimately was facing a Saul-like situation. One of them was about 13 years ago, 12 to 13 years ago, and someone literally came up to me and said, I hate you, Paul Doherty. I hate you. I hate your stinking guts. That's what he said. I was like, who says that these days? <laughs> it's like a Western movie or something. I hate your stinking guts. I said, what did I do to you? He said, I just can't stand you. I don't like you. He said, I feel like you get blessed and you don't deserve it. And I said, man, I, I didn't even know what to say to that. What do you say to that? I said, I, I don't know. You're right. I do get blessed and I don't deserve it. And I said, man, I can't stop that. I said, I want to be your friend. I, I had a real problem with wanting to be liked by everyone. And man, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a leader, you got to kill that spirit to be liked by everyone because there's going to be Saul's and there's going to be spears and there's going to be tears. But thank God, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And little did I know that God was using this Saul to break my heart so that I would never be like a Saul when I became a leader. All of us have the tendency. I mean, I want to just challenge you to stop seeing everyone else as the Saul in your life and start to look a little bit more inward and say, is there a Saul in me? Could it be that there's a Saul trying to surface in me? That there's a spirit of jealousy and envy and comparison and paranoia and insecurity and suspicion? Could it be that there's spears starting to be sharpened on the inside because I want to get even with someone who's hurt me or offended me? Or someone that I'm threatened by. David didn't even realize that he was being enrolled into the school of brokenness. That God was using King Saul's madness to break David so that David would never become a Saul kind of king. God was using. See, God's not the author of death. He's not the author of sickness. But he sure knows how to use the pain that you're walking through to create in you the heart that he's called you to lead with because he never wants you to become a Saul. God's deepest regret was that Saul became the king that he never called him to be. His heart was broken and he had to make sure that David would never repeat that. David was 15 years old when the spears started coming at him. Between 1 Samuel 18 and 1 Samuel 21, where we're going to end today, it's seven years of insanity. It's seven years where David's prospering on one side of his life, and on the other side, he's being attacked 
by his very father-in-law, his very king. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Isn't it crazy that you could be succeeding and there's someone on the side that just hates your success? They're jealous. They can't stand that you keep getting blessed. The second Saul-like situation I faced would be years later after the first one. And during that time, it was in my early to mid-20s, someone gave me a little book, 100 pages. It was called The Tale of Three Kings. You could read it in one hour. It's in our bookstore. In fact, it just sold out after the last service. Because obviously, there's some people in the room that are facing some Saul's. But I remember reading that book and I wept. I read it three times in one week. And I wept all through it. And even this week when I was studying these chapters of 1 Samuel 18 and 19 and 20 and 21, I just, I couldn't stop crying because I was remembering stories and moments that I could never share in a church service. And I pray that you never have to face some of the things that others have faced and Saul's that have thrown spears but some of you will. I don't know what your future holds, but I do know there will be Saul's. And I know that the longer you follow Jesus, the more target you become for the enemy. Leadership is a target. Success is a target. People don't like it. People will find your flaws and your faults and they'll pray that you fail and they'll cheer when you fall. And that's why God sent Jonathan to David. God knew that David would need a friend in the valleys. And Jonathan was there in 1 Samuel 19. Saul calls his son Jonathan in. And after this, Saul has tried to kill David multiple times. And he tells Jonathan, Jonathan, we got to kill David. Jonathan runs to David, says, David, hide. My dad's trying to kill you. So David goes hiding and Jonathan talks his dad out of it, says, dad, please don't kill him. He's an innocent man. And in verse four, he says, please don't do it. In verse five, Saul says, okay, I won't kill him. And Jonathan brings David back. And in verse nine, David's singing again. And he's worshiping God. You are my shield, my strength, my refuge, my strong tower. What? More spears? What? I thought you said you weren't going to kill me again. Saul keeps throwing the spears. Finally, Saul sends people to try and hunt David down and goes to his house, and that night, Michael, his wife, says, David, you've got to escape, and sneaks him out the window, and into the night, David runs in the darkness, alone, afraid, discouraged. Why is this happening to me? There's a quote from that book, Tale of Three Kings, that I want to read to you, and I think it's important for all of us to hear. He says, what do you do when a spear is thrown at you? Everyone else in the world knows what to do when a spear is thrown at them. Why, you pick up the spear and you throw it right back. And in doing this small feat of returning throne spears, you prove many things, church. You are courageous. You stand for the right. You boldly stand against the wrong. You are tough and can't be pushed around. You're the defender of the faith, the keeper of the flame, detector of all heresy. You will not be wronged. All of these attributes combine to prove that you are also a candidate for kingship. Yes, perhaps you are the Lord's anointed after the order of King Saul. There's also a possibility that some 20 years after your coronation, you will be the most incredibly skilled spear thrower in the entire realm. And most assuredly by then, quite mad. You can throw spears. You have a right to do it because they threw the spears at you first. But I'll tell you this. 
you'll become just like Saul. And you don't want to do that. Chuck Swindoll said something that I thought was very interesting. I'm still grappling with what he meant by it, but I think it's an important word. He said, when God wants to do an impossible task, God takes an impossible person and crushes them. And I thought, wait a minute. I don't think God crushes people, but you got to understand what he meant. I listened a little deeper. He said, I'm not talking about in some sort of sickness or some sort of pain. We know God is not the author of that. But that God uses the adversities of people in your life to mold your heart. God's looking for broken men and women. Brokenness is such a beautiful place to be in God's presence. Instead of coming in like a Saul, I've got this, I could do this, I know how to do it, I got the skills to come in like a David. Lord, I need you. Search me, oh God. Take everything that's not of you out of me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, I trust in you. Though the enemies surround me, and though there's slanderous reports, Lord, I trust you. You are my vindicator. You are my refuge, my fortress, my strong tower. In you, I put my trust. My hope is in you all the days long. There's something beautiful about brokenness. He must increase, we must decrease. It goes on in chapter 19 that Saul continues to try to kill David. More spears, more attacks. Have you ever been to the doctor and he starts to press that one pressure point? He says, does that hurt? You guys know what I'm talking about? Does that hurt? And you're like, yes, it hurts. And he's like, what about that? I'm like, that's the same place. It still hurts. He's like, does it still hurt? I'm like, yes, you're pressing it harder. And does that hurt? Does that hurt? Oh, you ain't felt nothing yet. Does that hurt? Does that hurt? You ain't seen nothing yet, David. You don't know what I can do to you. It's a painful thing to go through this process. But I'm telling you what, if you don't get bitter, you can make it. If you don't get bitter, you can become the leader that God's called you to be. God's looking for people that can handle the pain and become broken vessels to heal a broken world. He's looking for you to not run from the adversity. So what did David do? He didn't throw the spears back. Instead, he served. He loved. He forgave. He was loyal. And he kept on prospering. Come on, haters gonna hate, but the train keeps rolling. God doesn't bless hate. God doesn't bless evil. God doesn't bless dishonor, but he blesses the men and the women who choose to walk in love. When they go low, we go high, baby. Come on, somebody. Can I tell you what's happening in our world right now? There is a spirit of Saul in the United States of America. There's a spirit of Saul around the nations of the world. It's like the enemy is picking spears up and say, come on, America, why don't you throw spears at each other? This race against that race, these people against those people, this party against that party. It is a spear throwing culture in our world right now. And there is a challenge because the world says, don't be weak. Don't be weak. Get your spears and get them back as if that's what makes us strong. But those who live by the sword die by the sword. Someone needs to hear this right now. Because you're tempted to throw the spears back. Whether it's on social media or whether it's at that person. Get even, get even, get even. 
but you don't get even. You just become more like Saul. And you lose that tender heart that God's trying to make, that God wants to bless. So what do you do when spears are thrown at you? You trust God, you walk in love, you honor all, you stay focused. We've got a mission to run, and you don't quit. Saul would try to kill David 21 different times. And you know what David would learn? That as long as he didn't quit, man cannot overthrow what God has ordained. Man cannot stop what God has ordained. They will try to kill you, but they can't touch you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And any tongue that rises against you cannot stand. I'm telling you, you're anointed to prosper even when the spears are being thrown at you. You just keep on prospering. You're heaping coals of fire over their head. You just keep on running. You just keep on running. Finally, in verse Samuel chapter 20, by this time David is about 21 years old and it's been six years since he killed Goliath. It's been constant dodging spears and he gets with Jonathan and he says, Jonathan, listen, your dad keeps trying to kill me and I don't know what I've done. How have I wronged your father? And Jonathan says, listen, David, he wouldn't do that to you. What is Jonathan thinking? For the last two chapters, he's been doing this. And finally, David just speaks some sense to his best friend, his best friend, Jonathan. In verse three, he says, Jonathan, you don't understand. You're his son. And he said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there's only a step between me and death. Have you ever been there before? Just a step between you and death. Just a step between you and and everything being over. Finally, Jonathan gets in and says, David, here's what I'm gonna do. There's a feast coming up, and Dad has a, 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 a seat for you at the table. And Dad's setting up this dinner, and he's gonna expect you to be there, but if you don't show up, I'll see how my dad reacts. It's gonna be a few nights of dinners, and he's gonna want you there, and if you don't show up, we'll see how he reacts, and then I'll come and meet you in the field. Just hide in the field. So we go to verse 27 of 1 Samuel 20, and watch what happens. And keys, will you come out as I get ready to close? Watch this. In verse 27, the next day, the second day of the month, David's place at the table was empty again. And Saul said to his son, Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal? Either yesterday or today. He's talking about David. You can feel the drama starting to heat up. Jonathan said, well, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. So Jonathan's trying to cover for him just to see what his dad's going to do. And in verse 30, Saul's anger flares up at Jonathan. And this is a scripture that I probably won't read to my sons till they become like teenagers. But Saul gets so angry at Jonathan. You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you sided with the son of Jesse to your own? So he's like mad at his wife. There's like marriage issues going on. He's like, you're the son of that woman and the shame of your mother who bore you. So he's really mad at his wife, but he's really mad at Jonathan. There's just craziness going on in Saul's mind. He says, as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom. Here's, whoa, here's the root. Here's part of the root. Saul was hoping that the king would stay in his family. The kingdom would continue through Saul's family. He wanted Jonathan to take it over. But Jonathan knew, isn't it amazing that Jonathan had clear eyes and a pure heart living under a crazy type of situation that he said, dad, it's not mine to take. God decides who wants to be king. 
God's hand is on David. It's like Jonathan wasn't even trying to kill David to get the kingdom. He loved David. Saul said, listen, you gotta, we got to take him out. This kingdom is yours, Jonathan. Go get him. He must die. And Jonathan said, Dad, what has he done? Why do we have to kill him? And his dad picks up his spear, whew, throws it at his own son, Jonathan. And Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. 21 times Saul tries to kill him in these three chapters, and he can't touch him. There's a quote from that book that I read to you. I want to read to you again this quote. It's so good. You can easily tell when someone has been hit by a spear. He turns a deep shade of bitter. David never got hit. Gradually, he learned a very well-kept secret. One, never learn anything about the fashionable, easily mastered art of spear throwing. Two, stay out of the company of all spear throwers. And three, keep your mouth tightly closed. <laughs> How many of y'all know that'll solve a lot of problems? Just stay quiet and smile and keep prospering. In this way, spears will never touch you, even when they pierce your heart. Don't learn the ways of Saul. Don't learn it. Don't stay around Saul's that keep throwing spears. If you're in the company of spear throwers, shut the conversation down. Jonathan met David at the end of 1 Samuel 20 and wept and said, David, you gotta go. Dad's trying to kill you and he's not gonna stop till you're done, till you're dead, till you're off the face of the earth. He's gonna chase you the rest of his life. So you gotta run, and you gotta run far, far away. You can't stay in Israel. You're gonna have to flee to another country. So David goes on the run, and David, before he leaves, just weeps on Jonathan. And there's this beautiful moment of friendship, and it's like Jonathan just tells David, the covenant remains. I'll always be your friend. And in chapter 21, it says that David runs to this place. This is interesting. I want to end here today. This is a very interesting way that David reacts after this. It's like he loses his courage and he, he goes to the priest Ahimelech and Ahimelech says, why are you alone? And David's on the run. Why is no one with you? And this was rare because David, wherever he went, always had a huge group of troops, like thousands of soldiers went with David. He was never alone, but here he was isolated, afraid, discouraged, tired, most of our mistakes we make are when we're angry, tired, isolated, or afraid. And here David was, and David lies to the priest. Saul sent me on a secret mission. I'm all by myself, it's a secret mission, you don't have to worry about it, and he starts lying, because he doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to look embarrassed. And so he eats the holy bread. And then in verse eight, he says, I need a weapon. I need something to fight with. Give me something. Is there anything I can use that's here? And the priest says, oh, yeah, there is something in the house. Now, this should have been the green light moment. This should have been the moment that woke David up out of his fear, out of his anger, out of his tiredness. The priest said, yeah, there's a weapon in the house. In fact, it's a weapon seven years ago that you used. Why, it's the very sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed. Where's the David that stood up to Goliath? Where's the David that was unafraid to stand up to anyone who defied the armies of the living God? 
Where's the David that refused to run away from problems? Yeah, here's the sword. It's the sword you used seven years ago as a 15-year-old boy with clear eyes and a pure heart. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There's no sword here but that one. This should have woke David up, but instead he was going down to rock bottom. I'm so glad that God doesn't abandon us when we hit rock bottom. I'm so glad that God loves us on our worst days and on our best days, that even when we miss it, he's still with us and for us, and he loves us. So David took the sword, give it to me. He took matters into his own hands. He ran to Gath, the town that Goliath was from. And when he got there, the, the king looked at him and said, wait a minute, you're the guy that they sing songs about. Saul slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And all of a sudden, David was afraid because he thought they're gonna try to kill me. And he took these words to heart and in verse 13, he started acting like Saul. He pretended to be insane. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate, letting saliva run down his beard. Man, if there was ever a low point in David's life, it was right here, acting like a wild man, drooling, clawing. What happened to warrior David? What happened to the David who took out the lion, the bear, and the giant? He was tired, he was afraid, he was angry, he was discouraged, he was isolated. And there's a little bit of humor right here. This is funny. The king says, why bring this crazy, insane person to me? Don't I have enough nut jobs in this land? <laughs> like, don't we have enough crazy people running around here? Why bring me another crazy person? And we'll end today with 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. David took off from there. He ran and he hid into the caves of Adullam. We'll pick up next week in the caves. What do we learn from David's life here? We learn this. That oftentimes the ways of God are most unappealing when we are angry, tired, or afraid, or isolated. David was taking matters into his own hands because of these emotions. Most of the times that's what happens. We can also learn that if we're going to do what God's asked us to do, there will be cheers from people, but there will also be spears. And there will be lots and lots of tears. But we can also learn that there will be psalms. There will be songs of deliverance. There will be prayers and there will be moments of intimacy with God where you find the depths of his love. And there will be times when all the crutches you've been leaning on will be knocked from out under you. David was leaning on the crutch of his pastor Samuel. He was leaning on the crutch of his father Jesse. He was leaning on the crutch of his position in the army. He was leaning on the crutch of his best friend Jonathan. He was leaning on the crutch of his wife Michael and it was like every crutch got knocked out. Where do you lean when there's no more crutches to lean on? You lean on God and you find that God is enough to lean on. And you find that God is with you when mother and father forsake you when friends abandon you, when you lose your job at the company that you've worked so hard to keep, when spears are thrown at you, there is a shelter to run to. There is, there is an arm to lean on. The arm of the Lord is strong. And David wrote this psalm when he was in this moment, when he was running from Saul. In Psalm 27, he said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? David was getting his courage back. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? 
when the wicked advance against me to devour me, my enemies, my foes will stumble and fall. David's speaking by faith because it hadn't happened yet. Though an army besieges me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. David was getting his confidence back. Hear my voice, Lord, when I call. Be merciful to me. Answer me, God. My heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me, God. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Don't reject me. Don't forsake me. Teach me your ways, Lord. Enroll me into the school, the university of brokenness. Teach me how to forgive. Lead me down the straight path because of my oppressors. Don't turn me over to the desire of my foes. False witnesses rise up against me. They're spouting malicious accusations. But I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Take courage. Hearts, be strong. Would you stand to your feet all over this room? If you feel forsaken, you are mistaken. God is with you. If spears are being thrown, don't pick them up. Don't throw them back. Keep moving forward. Keep trusting in God. For some, this is a message for the season you're in right now. For others, this is a message to remind you of seasons you've walked through. And for many in this room, it is a message of preparation for what's ahead. I don't know what your future holds, but I do know there will be Saul's and Spears and cheers and a whole lot of tears, but there will be incredible years of knowing God, knowing his love, following his plan, becoming more like him, growing into a deeper relationship with God, and the joys of your future will swallow up the pain of your past. And you won't have to worry about all the spears that were thrown at you. Because all you'll hear is just the well done, thou good and faithful servant. You stuck with it. You didn't quit. God loves you, church. Thank you for listening to Victory with Paul Doherty. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Remember, your best days are right in front of you.